0: Let me invite you at this time to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We are finally getting out of this chapter, which may be fad for some of y'all because it's a great chapter, but we have to move on. We have one last little section to get through. <clears throat> we'll be reading in Hebrews eleven twenty nine all the way through chapter 12, verse 2. Let me invite you to remember that this is a word meant for you to store it up meant for you to store it up up here, but also believe it right here in the heart. So let's come with faith, trusting that God speaks to us no matter how we feel tonight. We hear from the author of Hebrews. We hear from our God beginning in verse twenty nine. By faith, we are told the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the wall of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chained and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Let's pray and plead and ask for his blessing. Lord, we come and your word tells us that we have, even now, even tonight, even here, a cloud of witnesses around us. May they point us to your son. May we see him. May you accept the portion of our praise and our hearts and our lives that we have tonight. And may you strengthen us by a glimpse of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. When I was younger, I'm thinking here about age 13 or 14, I was a Braves fan. I just want you to mark that out. I was not living in Georgia not from Atlanta, but I just want to mark it out. I want to be very clear here, publicly stating this on the record. I have been a Braves fan for a long, long, long time. No fair weather fan here. But <clears throat> when I was younger, I had a couple of pictures and posters on the wall to prove to you I was a Braves fan. I had a picture of Hank Aaron, the great Milwaukee Braves, Atlanta Braves baseball player. Now, look, I read one biography about Hank Aaron, i didn 't know anything about his life really i didn 't know his character i didn 't know if he was a nice guy or a mean guy. They're always nice on TV. you know whenever you see him they 're always nice. so he, he looks nice, but I never met him i didn 't get his autograph i didn't meet him up close and personal. He was an idol. He was somebody you look at from a long way away and say he looks really cool. He looks really nice look i, I didn 't put Hank Aaron on the wall because I wanted to imitate his personal. Qualities. i didn't know if he was a good dad or a bad dad a good brother or a bad brother he was a celebrity he was an idol he was not a hero you know we have idols and we have heroes we have idols and we have he- idols you look at from afar your favorite musician your favorite movie star your favorite athlete but you don't put a hero on your wall your heroes are heroes because you know them you know who they are you know their character what do you put in your wall if you're a teenager You put a movie figure. You put an athlete. If we come here to the very end of Hebrews 11, we come to heroes. We've been with two big heroes the whole chapter through. We've been with Abraham. We've had Moses. We've had these two big guys. Our author has focused on these two big heroes of the faith, their character qualities, their faith. And yet now he skips in this whole, these, these 12 verses, he runs through centuries of the Old Testament. I mean, what, what, what God gave in multiple books, the author just runs through in a second, all the way from the Exodus to the end. You I mean, you'll recognize here, if you think about it, of course, he mentions Gideon, he mentions Samson, he mentions David. But if you know the stories of the Old Testament, he also mentions Elijah and Elisha. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Daniel, shut the mouths of lions. But the author keeps on rushing on. Why is he rushing on? I don't know if you ever taking your kids to the art museum, the high museum downtown, I encourage you. Uh, to take them to art museum. I like art. I think it's good. Uh, You don't have to. But if you do, if if you take your kids to the aquarium, something like that, the zoo, same same deal, and your kids are under 10 years old, there will come a point in your excursion to the art museum or the zoo or the aquarium where you feel a little tug on your leg, sometimes the poke. And every time, it's your little one saying, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Are we going? Are we leaving? And what do you do if you're a kind you know, father, kind mother? What do you do? You're at the art museum, and you're seeing all the portraits of people, all the pictures. Well, you, you got to rush. You got to rush. So you, you run through the gallery. You, you have a glance over here, a glance over there. You look for the exit, and you say, fine, we're going to go. We're running out of here. They all whoosh past all the pictures whoosh past you because you're heading out the street. That's what we're happening that's what happened tonight. That's what the author's doing tonight. That's what we are tonight in Hebrews eleven. Tonight we are running towards the exit. We're running towards the exit light, the fresh air of chapter twelve of Hebrews. Why are we doing that? Why does the author rush through centuries of the old testament? Because there's not actually a chapter twelve in the Bible. There's also not actually a chapter 11 in the Bible. They didn't have chapter divisions in the original languages. And sometimes chapter divisions are very natural and very helpful. Often we use them. Tonight, it's really bad that there's a chapter break here. You should smush them together. If you want to, you can make little arrows in your copy of the Word if you feel comfortable doing that. You can bring them together. Because here's the point. the reason why that's an issue. All of these heroes, all of the Old Testament heroes, are meant to bring us and to point us to the hero. All of the Old Testament heroes, without exception, direct us to Jesus Christ. Whether they lived in triumph, they died getting sawn in half. Every one of them was looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise. From Genesis 3.15, the serpent killer From 2 Samuel 7, the son of King David, the Messiah, whose dominion would have no end. It would be awful. One of the great issues I have sometimes is that people love Hebrews chapter 11, but they have no idea about Hebrews chapter 12. They love the hall of faith, the heroes of the faith. But they don't read on. They don't like reading on. They don't like reading on about Jesus Christ. And the problem, friends, is that may not be your situation with Hebrews, but it may be your life situation. And that you're, you're trying to figure out, what does it mean to be a Christian? You're looking to all these examples. And the world and the church have plenty of examples for you. But the real question is, are they pointing you? Is the Christian culture you're in pointing you to Jesus Christ? We love moral lessons. We love Bible heroes. But the great danger is that we forget the one to whom they all Point. This is why, friends, <clears throat> if you want to get Christians to go see a movie, make it about a moral lesson. Make it about a moral lesson. This is why the the movies that talk about marriages getting put back together or, or uh, facing the giants these things always sell very well, and there's good in them, of course. But friends, if you make a movie about the the depth of the joy of Jesus Christ who despised the shame of the cross. How's that going to sell? How's that going to sell? We love our moral lessons. We forget the one to whom they point. We love our heroes. We forget the hero of heroes. That's why the author himself, in case you don't believe me, just us look to verse 40, at verse 39 and verse 40. All these, all these heroes, though commended through their faith, they had commendable faith, They did not get what was promised. They lacked something. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Do you know that if you're a Christian tonight, you have something far more precious than Abraham. You discovered something far better than any Old Testament believer ever knew. Every Old Testament saint, Moses would have given his right eye and his left eye for to experience one second of a Sunday with you, with us here. He would have given everything he had to experience one Sunday here at the rock because Jesus is here. The author is telling them, he's telling these Christians who are being tempted to go back to the old ways, who are looking around and saying the world looks successful, the world looks fancy, we need to go and do what they're doing. He's saying, no, 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 no. You need Jesus Christ. You have something better than anything the world can offer. You have something better than the old covenant. You have Jesus Christ. We're given some basics here. We're given some basics. And um, I, I'm not going to apologize in advance that uh, I will be using quite a few sports uh, metaphors tonight. So, ladies, um, hope you like sports. If not, uh, well, gentlemen, hope you all do too. But uh, we start here with <clears throat> the the equipment The equipment that God gives to Christians, the equipment that God gives, the fancy equipment, as I call it here. But you have to realize that if you're a Christian, God has given you fancy equipment. You have the best equipment golf clubs in the market. You have the best baseball mitt out there. You have the fanciest equipment money can buy because it's not bought with money, but it's bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You have something better than any other hero out there. You have something better than Moses did. And think about Moses. You see the logic? The logic of the whole chapter uh, uh, of, of this book of Hebrews, the logic of this whole section is If Abraham persevered and Daniel persevered, even though the lions were going to chomp him. If Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, verse 34, quench the power of fire. If they became mighty in war, if the Old Testament heroes persevered in their faith and you have something better, you can persevere in faith. Remember, his whole focus on on faith is for them to persevere as Christians, to keep on keeping on. It's the logic, actually, of Jesus Christ as well. Remember Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11, he says, look, John the Baptist, he is the greatest guy ever. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet who ever lived. He's taller than Jeremiah. He's better than Ezekiel. And then Jesus says, the least in my kingdom, the least in the kingdom of Jesus Christ is greater than John the Baptist. What's the greater privilege? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fancy equipment you have. Jesus Christ is the privilege you have. The old saints shut the lion's mouths, but as a Christian, your goal is not to dare to be a Daniel. Your goal is not to be like Moses. Your goal is to see that you have Jesus Christ. You have someone way better. You have a clear gospel. You have the Son of God in 3D who has given his life, who has triumphed over death, who lives now to be your friend. The brilliant theologian John Owen put it this way. He said, the chief part of our misery as Christians, the chief part of our misery is that we are unacquainted with our privileges. The chief part of your misery as a Christian is that you are unacquainted with your privileges. We think it's a very boring thing to talk about God's grace. That's what we talk about all the time. Very cheap thing, a very small thing to speak lightly of God being God, of God being gracious, of God being sovereign. Do you know your privilege as a Christian? Do you see the equipment that God gives you to run the race? Do you see that Jesus Christ has come to be your Savior through all eternity? And that is far more of a privilege than anything Uh, this American world can talk about. That's far more valuable a privilege. There's nothing Congress can do for you when you're dead. I'm told they try to tax people who are dead. I don't know if that works out well, but Jesus Christ, when you are dead, will still be your savior. You have great privileges. Second, you don't just have the fancy equipment, but second, you have to realize you need to use the fancy equipment you have the privilege you have as a Christian to deal with the hurdles in the race. This is verse 1, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely. Let's run the race. The author uses the sports metaphor. That's why I use sports metaphors here. It's because the author does it first. I'm just copying him. He uses the metaphor of a a race. You run a marathon, you run a sprint, whatever it is. He uses the the image of an uh, Olympic race. He says, if you're running, you need to put off the weight before you run. You need to put off the weight of sin. If you're running, put off the weight. You know, if you ran in the ancient Olympics, I, I think today as well, you had to meet certain qualifications. You had to be fit. You had to be qualified to run the marathon. You couldn't just say, oh, yeah, I can run the marathon. You had to have some proof. Now, you could be qualified to run the marathon. You could be physically fit enough to run the marathon. But but if you came into the stadium and you were wearing a suit of medieval armor, you couldn't run very far very fast. Technically, you were fit enough, but if you're wearing plate mail or chain mail or whatever, you'll collapse before the finish line. And that's what the author's saying. He's saying, look, since we're in a race, remove whatever is hindering your progression. Have you grasped that? The call to watch the hurdles and the obstacles in the race and rid yourself of them. Look, there are plenty of good things that are legitimate as a Christian that you can do. There are plenty of legitimate activities as a Christian that you can do. But for most of us, we love those legitimate things, those good things. We love them so much, they cling to us. And they come up the works of grace in our lives. This is a common trap, I think, for all, for all of us. We have all sorts of fine activities, all sorts of fun activities we can do. But as we build them in, we build Christ out of our center. As we build them into our life, they gum up the works of our lives. Look, there's nothing in the Bible, I tell this to myself, there's nothing in the Bible against playing golf. But anything you love doing can prove to be a most subtle enemy of the Lord. There's nothing in the Bible against loving your kids or your grandkids. In fact, there are commands to love your kids and love your grandkids. You probably should if you don't. But it is very easy to be obsessed with your kids and your grandkids and find you are never obsessed about Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with grandkids. There's danger there, isn't there? In every area of life, in every stage of life, you need to put the race first. The great athletes do it today. I mean, Tom Brady is 45 years old, he's a quarterback. He's able to focus so much on throwing a football in the right place at the right time that he can still play professional football at 45 years old. Now, that may have ruined his family life, I'm told, and any faith he may have. there have issues with with that, but he's able to dedicate that to a sport. And the author is saying, the race is everything. The race of the Christian life is everything. And therefore... If the race is everything, if seeking and savoring Jesus Christ is everything, then everything else should find its natural place around the race, not in place of the race. It should find its natural location around the race, not in place of Jesus Christ. That's why the author talks specifically here in verse 1 about the sin which clings so closely. You know what he's talking about. There's this sin. There's this pattern you have in your life. There's this tendency you have, and it's just it, it's clingy. It's holding on tight. And you need to deal with it. We heard this morning from Jacob's life. You need to bury it, lay it aside. So first, you got to realize your privilege, your fancy equipment. Second, you got to see the hurdles here. Third, you have to realize that the race is an endurance race. This is not a marathon. I, 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 Not a sprint, excuse me. I think you have to have endurance even in a sprint, but it's a marathon race. It's a marathon race. That's why we have here in verse one, we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. You need perseverance. You need the ability to stick with things all the way to the end. Not just with things, though. You need the ability to stick with, verse two, Jesus. Your look to Jesus. What's the race all about? Jesus Christ. What's the secret to sticking with Jesus Christ? It's not how you feel. I know some of y'all run. Some of y'all like to run a lot. Hard for me to fathom, but you do. Some of y'all are runners. And you don't run just when you feel like it. You don't run just when you feel like it. And you know that when you're running, there are points where you feel like giving up, saying, no, 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 I can't go any further. I don't want to go any further. It's the same in the Christian life. If you think being Christian is based on always feeling happy and peppy and good, living the victorious Christian life, you're going to give up. If you think living the Christian life is all about prosperity and happiness, you're going to give up. So what actually creates endurance? First, the author tells us that it's an, it is an endurance race. So we have to know up here, it's going to be a lifelong race. But second, the author says, how are you to have energy to run with endurance? You're to look to Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? You're to endure. What did he endure? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. No accident, the author uses the word endurance in two two verses back to back. Christ endured the cross so you can endure your tiny crosses. Christ endured His big cross, and therefore you have the privilege of running in that race. Remember, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—they're mentioned here. The three friends who quenched the fire, who were able to go in the fiery furnace. Remember what they said to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, they didn't say, "We have a good feeling about this fire." Yeah, it looks really nice. It's really hot. We feel like we're going to get through this. No, what they said was our minds are fixed on the Lord, our hearts are devoted to the Lord. He has promised so much. Whether we are preserved in the fire or die in the fire, we will see the fire through to the end. We'll see the race through. That's the determination they had before the cross, that side of the cross. And the author says, fourthly and finally, you need to realize that you don't have home-filled advantage. Permit me one more sports metaphor, please. That's just verse one. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you don't have home-filled advantage, but you have the crowd on your side. You have the crowd on your side. Jimmy Connors was a famous American tennis player back in the 70s and 80s. Y'all may or may not know of him. He was very flamboyant, very popular. In 1991, he was way past his prime. I think he was about 39 years old, super old. Most people retired by then. But he came in two weeks in August up in New York at the U.S. Open. He went on this incredible run all the way to the semifinals. It was amazing, and the people hadn't really seen much like it before. One last Hurrah. He was asked, hey, Jimmy, what, what made you so good? Did you have some secret summer training with some coach? No, there was no secret summer program. Was it his fitness? Did he you know, really run a lot and get endurance? He said, no, I'm old. The young guys have more endurance. So he was asked, well, what, what kept you in it? What got you through? What helped you to win? He said, it was the crowd. He said, this is what they want. They're here for me. They got behind him. They encouraged him. This is true in many sports. You know, a basketball court is always a basketball court. A football field is always 100 yards. End zone to end zone. So why is there a home field advantage? Why is there an advantage to playing at home? It's with really a crowd. And the author is saying, you're playing in Satan stadium. You're playing an away game, but the crowd's pulling for you. But the crowd's on your side. The crowd's with you. The cloud of witnesses all the way from Abel and Abraham, all the way down to the saints gathered right here. You have the crowd on your side. But here's the deal with this crowd. You know, if you go to a football game or a Braves game, you're going to meet people. You just go down to the, the high school games. You go down to second grade soccer like I did back in the day. You're going to have fans or parents who just scream at the umpires. They scream foul. They scream at the fan, They scream at the, at the refs. And they have no idea what it takes to play professional-level sports. They're just screaming because they're angry. But this crowd, this cloud of witnesses, these believers, they know what it takes to win the race. They know what it takes to play the game. These are people who have run the race in life and in death, and supremely there is Jesus Christ. What an encouragement, friends. This is why church is great. You come Sunday after Sunday, and it's ordinary, it's the same, not flashy, but people go through life, and they're still standing. That's Christianity. Not a crowd like this in any sports stadium anywhere else. And the marvelous thing is that the energy we get is not from our own perseverance, but verse 2, it is from Jesus, the founder and perfecter, of our faith. Those are two classic words that describe who our Savior is in a special way. This word founder is only used in a couple other places in the New Testament, one of which is Hebrews chapter 2. It means somebody who does something first, the captain who breaks through enemy lines so that the soldiers can advance. That's Jesus Christ. He is, okay, this really is the last fourth metaphor. He is. The starting pitcher. Jesus Christ is the starting pitcher of your your game. He is the one who starts. He's the one who founds faith in you. He begins. He's excellent at beginning your faith in you. But he's also the perfecter. That is, he's the closer too. He gets the call from the bullpen. He comes in. He comes in to finish your life with you. That's the thing about the Christian life, friends. Jesus Christ has been in the race. He's been through the obstacles. In fact, he has been through the obstacles more deeply than you have. You think your temptations are bad. Jesus Christ didn't give in when you give in all the time. He had hotter fires to go through than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He felt more deeply the mocking and the shaming, the torments of Satan. He went more deeply into Satan's dungeon. So he's gone through it before. Don't you love it? You know, I remember the, the couple of races I ran. I was always in last. I ran cross country. The math surprised you. But uh, I ran it anyway. And um, it was fun to see my parents at the finish line. They were cheering me on. I always enjoyed that moment. Don't you have to love that when your mom and dad are there and they're cheering you on and you finish? And yeah, that's Jesus Christ. He's the finisher. He's at the finish line. He's waiting for us. And yet, the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is that He's also running with you. See, the thing about Jesus Christ is not that He's just a good example who's done it before, and you can kind of trust Him. It's not just that He's the closer who's at the end, He's going to give you that last boost. But Jesus Christ is actually with you right now. He's with you right now. And that means you can look to Him and you're worries. You can look to him as you have obstacles, as you have hurdles in life. You can look to him as you don't think you have the fancy equipment of a Christian. As you doubt, am I one like this? These are heroes. I'm nowhere like them. I'm not quenching fire. I'm not, you know, stopping lion's mouths. I'm not doing any of this stuff. And yet if you're a Christian in Jesus Christ, you're doing all that and more. You don't need to be a hero because you have Jesus Christ. How long has it been since your eyes were on Jesus Christ? What a tragedy. What a tragedy if you were offered Jesus Christ and you were instead happy with something way less valuable. Don't do that. Look to Jesus Christ. When you're doubting, when you're tempted, when you're lonely, look to Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace, it's a great hymn. It's a great verse. It's also a great truth. It's what you're called to do. Let's look to Him this week and run with race. Run with endurance the race set before us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have someone better. We have someone better than Moses and Abraham and David, as good as they were. We have the Savior. We have the One who has gone deeper and. The one who knows the plans of the enemy. The one who has conquered the grave for us. And the one who is with us now. The founder. The perfecter. The finisher of our faith. Help us to look to him this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. His name. Amen.